All right, well, we're going to get moving here. I think Rob's got a quick announcement he wanted to give, uh, some community news. Rob, why don't we give the announcement, bro? Hey, guys, real quick. Uh, we have a local um, animal shelter that, by the name of Barks. And what they do is they help people that can't afford their surgeries for their animals. And um, right now their, their fund is real low, so the next-door neighbors are doing a 50-50 raffle where you win half the money and the other half goes to the shelter. And um, if you're interested, there's a flyer I'm, I have, but next door to the church, the house right here, has it on their gate, and they're sitting out front if you want more information on how you could help help the um, help Bark's uh, animal shelter. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. All right, great to see all of you guys. Um, yeah, you know, it's an exciting time of the year for us here at the Village. Just, I think, a lot of churches with uh, beginning of the school year. I think for many of us, whether you've been, you're a student or not, it feels almost like a, a redo, a time to start up again. So I'm excited personally as we're going back into this series that we started back in the summertime called Riches, looking through this book of Romans and one particular chapter, Romans chapter 8. And throughout this, um, throughout this series, we're going to see this kind of notion, and you're going to talk, and you're going to feel like some, hopefully some of this stuff starts to feel pretty familiar. You're going to hear this distinction between religion and between uh, relationship. Religion, of, when we mean religion, we're not talking about good religion, like helping widows and orphans as described in the scripture. More religion as if this is what we need to do to be right before God. These are some of the things that we need to engage in. These are some of the practices we need to accomplish so that God will accept us. We're talking about that kind of religion as distinguished to relationship. What does it mean to know the living God who's reached down to us that the heart of Christianity is really about relationship that we can call this creator God father and, and to be part of this family as children with our elder brother Jesus and some of you might never thought of Jesus as your elder brother. He is, he's the big, best, biggest uh, big brother you can have. That's what it's described in scripture. And, and for me, that's, I've realized as I talk with people, especially ours, as they're investigating what, what's the Christian faith, this is one of the best questions to help distinguish whether someone understands um, the uniqueness of what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe a diagnostic question. Is it difficult for you to call God daddy? Like if I would say, right, hey, let's pray, and we're just going to start praying, say, daddy, God, and in your, in your mind, does that just feel really strange and like, oh, that, I don't, is that proper to do? And that's just a little too, that's a little too wishy-washy. And, and I'm not saying that's like a black and white kind of thing, but it might be revealing perhaps we don't have the full grasp of what it means to be in relationship with God as he would set out for us. So I'm going to be reading from the book of Romans. If you want to grab a Bible, feel free to do that. I think it's page 808. Uh, we'll also have the verses up here on the screen. Let me read from chapter 8 of Romans, verse 14. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And as we just jump right into it, verse 14 says that we're sons of God, or we could also say children of God. And this is a significant work of transformation. This is just a huge work of redemption, of, of transforming our lives that engages all three persons of the Trinity. And we just don't have the time to get into all of what the Trinity means. Trinity basically is this idea, there is one God, and he exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So when we say this whole process by which God makes us his kids, God makes people his children, we would describe that as we come in Christ, and that would be uh, chapter 8, verse 1 that we looked at uh, a while back. We come in Christ by the Spirit, so it's through the Spirit's work, and that's fourteen uh, verses 14, 15, 16 here you see, to the Father. In verse 15. So it's all three persons of this Trinity working together to make us children of God. And, and so I, the reason why we're saying that, we want to make sure we know that the Holy Spirit plays a huge part in this adoption process. It's almost like he's a spiritual caseworker making this whole thing, pressing it through and, and working it through. And verse 15 describes this process as the spirit of adoption. Uh, you might have heard of a man called John Calvin, famous theologian. He even suggested that the adopter might have been like the first title that the Holy Spirit had, the adopter, that this is one of his key works in, in a Christian's life. So what are some things that we see when we see this process of the Holy Spirit working to adopt uh, people as children of God? One thing we see is that God and the Holy Spirit, his spirit leads us into holiness, so part of becoming a child of God, a son of God, is this process of becoming holy. That one of the goals of the Holy Spirit is that you would grow increasingly more and more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That the more you walk with him, you cannot help by the power of the Spirit to live out that sonship, live out that childship, become more and more like Jesus. And, and you see that goal in verse 14 here. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And depending how much church you got in your life, when you hear these terms like led by the spirit, at least when I hear it, most people, it's like they're thinking about a job that they need to take. Like, do I need to take a job here in, in um, different places or do I need to switch occupations or what school should I go to? Uh, which way is the spirit leading me? Or maybe you have just met like some um, or maybe you haven't even met them. You've just seen them, but some gorgeous woman in the church, and you're thinking, Holy Spirit, are you leading me to perhaps engage this woman in a relationship? Lord, show me how you're leading me. And we usually use those language of being led by the Spirit for kind of almost like a spiritual GPS system, right? Then now you have God. Now you've got this, it's planted in you. Oh, I got a decision to make about where we should go next year, how we should use our funds. Holy Spirit GPS, tell me how we should make our decision. And, and we're led by the Spirit, and I'm not saying that those things are inappropriate, but I don't know if that's exactly what Paul is referring to here when he's talking about leading of the Spirit. Because what he's talking about is a leading into holiness. That what the Spirit does is lead us into holiness. And as Larry uh, preached, I heard his message, great stuff from um, chapter 8, the passage right before here a few months ago, there's an active process of putting sin to death. 
that when you become a Christian, um, what what the gospel has done is taken your sin. And just as Jesus died on the cross, it's taken your sin. And fancy words like mortification, basically killing your sin so that you might be alive in Christ. And you might live the life that you were intended to. And, and that life, it involves a growing reflection of Jesus in your life. That the more you do this, and it doesn't mean you're perfect. I mean, it's, don't start getting scared here thinking, man, I don't look anything like Jesus. I've been doing this for years and decades. No, it means that there's a process. You're becoming, though, more and more like the reflection of Jesus. And, and here's the thing, and I want us to think about this. I think if you stop average Joe on the street, and they haven't been in a church like long time, maybe, maybe ever, I think that they would get this. I think that they would get this, this idea that to be a Christian is to be holy. Um, and you know, maybe someone who's never been in church, and maybe that's some of your background, I, I sometimes think they get it even more than folks who've been in church for a long time. Because the thing about being in a church, even like a church like ours here, is we talk a lot about things like grace and mercy. This idea of grace, it's, it's getting what you don't deserve. Mercy, not getting what you do deserve. We talk about these things, and, and I hope that's sinking in. I hope some of you, like, you are getting, like, it's just, like, becoming, like, hardwired into your brain when you talk about grace. Man, I can't earn this. It's unbelievable. It's just different. God accepts me no matter what I've done. I, I've jacked up last week. I jacked up this morning. Wow, God still wants me. He still draws me to him. Hopefully, these things are becoming commonplace in your mind. But to a lot of folks on the street outside of the church, when they picture God or they picture the church or they picture religious living, this next slide is a lot of times what they picture. Ned Flanders. And if you don't know who that is, that means you live a really holy life because you don't watch TV ever and you have no clue. What is this pagan speaking of, this cartoon image of this man who looks very holy holding a Bible? I mean, is this a picture of holiness? Because, I mean, it, this is the stereotype. When someone thinks about a holy moly, a, a Bible thumper, this is what they think of someone who's like um, always doing the right thing, always smiling, always looking like what we think holiness should look like. Because you don't have to be a Christian to totally get the idea. Yeah, I think Christians are supposed to be different. I think Christians should be better. I, I think they should be holy. And, and that's why when I'm talking with someone, I love having conversations with people who, who, who don't know Jesus. Because I love talking to them because if they're real... And we're getting into it, and we're in the middle of it. You know, they'll let an F-bomb fly, and they're not even thinking about it. And right after it comes out, it's like toothpaste. You can't get it back in right now. Oh, pastor, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say that. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's cool. You know, it, it, don't say it around my kids, but it's all right. We can we be real, be honest, because there's that sense, oh, wow, this is a pastor of, like, a church. I can't say stuff like that. He's used to being holy. He's used to being around holy people. We need to act a certain way, dress a certain way, look a certain way, because there's this sense that if you're a Christian, you should perhaps speak a certain way. You should dress a certain way. You should spend your money in a certain way. Maybe treat your neighbor in a certain way. And that's why so many non-Christians often say that Christians are hypocrites. That's why a lot of people outside of the church often look at people inside the church and say, they're a bunch of uh, hypocrites. They don't, they don't live what they say. And it's, it's not that the Christians are living worse than the non-Christians. I mean, they're probably exactly the same. But it's this idea, man, but shouldn't Christians be different? 
I mean, I'm not a Christian, so who cares how I live? But you say you're a Christian. You should, you should be on this different level. You should be living up to a higher standard. And, and you know, I, even, I know when I didn't, there was a long stretch of my life when I didn't go to church, and my friends and I, we would actually, uh, and this was not an uh, affectionate term, we would call people go to church holy moly's. And, you know, it, again, it was not like a, um, a term of endearment, but it was more, yeah, you know, we know how you are. I've seen you on Friday night, and now you're here Sunday acting all, you know, like all Jesus-y. And so I know who you are. And we would say they're holy moly's. They don't live what they preach. Their words and their actions are a whole different thing. So, again, I don't think it's this idea that a Christian should be transformed, should live a different kind of life, maybe seem more holy. I mean, that makes sense that we would expect someone to be different. But here's the difference. For someone who believes that a Christian is about being holy, is about living a certain way, is about being more moral, but there is no sense of relationship to daddy, there is no joy, only misery. If someone believes, yeah, Christians should be holy and, and you, you but there's no sense of a relationship to father, God, to daddy. Those are like, those are those people who are at church every week and they just like, they're su- sucking on a lemon for an hour. They're like miserable. They're sad. They're depressed. They hate being there probably, but they think that's the holy thing to do. You know, it's, it's like you're living like big brothers watching always under a microscope, always trying to be good enough, always trying to think this is what I, I sh- how I should be living. This is how a holy person should be living. And consequently, then we would, you would view church as a place that just tells you how to be holy or maybe on the other side, how you're not holy. You know, that's how a lot of people then would look at church. And, and really, that's the reason why so many people who are not Christians don't want to step inside a church because they're experiencing this thing where they feel like a failure. I feel miserable. I feel like I've totally busted up my week. Why would I want to go somewhere where everyone's going to tell me the same thing I already know and even more? I don't need that. And, and that's often this, this dichotomy between holiness and faith because without soaking in the riches of a new relation with God, Telling someone to just be holy is just really cruel. I mean, whether it's like a, a kid or someone you're mentoring or maybe someone you're discipling, if you're, if you're just telling them this is how you should be, this is what you should do, and it just ends there, I mean, that's actually really cruel to someone. And we, and we can never leave it just as just do this because that leads to a guilt and a burden that no person can carry. And that's why when we look at the message of Jesus, you know, the gospel literally means good news, not good advice. You know, the gospel is not, here's some good advice. It's good news. Here's what Jesus has done. Because I want to affirm the Christian uh, life, it should lead to a holiness. The Christian life, if you you follow Christ, there should be a growing, growing holiness in your life. And it's important for us to hear that because... I mean, we live in a culture where a lot of folks might tell you, you know what? God accepts you just as you are. And I fully affirm that. I fully affirm it. I want our church, I want the village always to be place. People can come and feel like no matter how bad Saturday night's been, no matter how night sun, how bad Sunday morning's been, no matter how bad family life has been, there's always a place to come in here and there's always a safe place to come experience the riches and the grace of God. 
and, and we want to affirm that you cannot do a single thing to earn God's love. But um, here's the thing. If, if you say God accepts you just as you are, and if you just end there, that's incomplete. If you just say God accepts you just your, and you just stop there, that's incomplete. Because God never saves someone just for them to stay exactly the same. The Bible's not about God saving someone just so they can stay exactly the same. It's always about growth. Again, keep in mind, it's not about you producing that growth. It's not about you earning that growth or you earning that favor. But it's about trusting in the Holy Spirit and God's work in you that will transform you, that will make you a different person. The goal is always holiness. But here is the huge, 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 and I would keep going, a huge difference it's understanding that Christian holiness, it's not about trying to work hard enough so that God will accept you. Christian holiness is not about performing well enough so God will finally call you approved. It's about understanding how much daddy loves you. It's about understanding how much the father loves you. Thus, you want to be a certain way so that you can be closer in relationship to him. And that's what verse 15 is talking about here when it says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Another translation uses this. I love it. It says, you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. Paul is saying here in, in that as we receive the spirit, guys, you're called sons now. You're no longer slaves. You're called a son of... Can you imagine that? This beautiful, holy, loving, amazing God. He calls you little boy. He calls you his daughter. He calls you his children. No longer are you a slave. You've been made family. And the reason why I'm hammering this so much, maybe I'm speaking to myself, um, I think many, many people who are in the church are just really emotionally unhealthy in our spirituality. I mean, we've got all the theology. We've learning the doctrine. We're here even year after year, week after week. You, I give you a Bible quiz. You are going to like ace that. You know all the stuff. But there's this part of our emotional health that's underdeveloped. Almost like an arrested development there. And, and a lot of this is because we've never really fully dealt with some of the forces that have created us as we are now. We, we like learn the doctrine and we learn good theology, but many of us have relational factors, developmental factors that we've never really engaged in. And we go into Bible study after Bible study and you get good information and you become like a bobblehead. Your head gets really large. Have you ever seen kids with giant heads? They can't stand still, right? Cause, cause they got this giant wealth of information in their head, but nothing to, to support it. And many of us are emotionally underdeveloped. And I fully affirm scripture like 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I fully believe this. I fully believe what that says is you were once this. Now in Christ, you're totally different. You're totally a different creation. But we can't misunderstand that to mean as if God has just totally wiped your hard drive. We can't understand that to mean you don't have any more memories of your childhood. For some of us, that was really painful. It doesn't mean all the things that you used to engage in and things you used to do, it doesn't mean that suddenly you don't know all that anymore and now you are this Christian automaton and you are this new creation in Christ. And it, it doesn't mean that. It means that's still a part of who you are. 
And that's still a part of what has made you to be who you are today. And, and for many of us, this uh, area about the, the relationship, it's with our own fathers. It's with our own parents. That for some of us, we have a lot of Bible knowledge, but we haven't fully explored how our relationship with our own fathers, with our own parents, with our own authority figures has really formed how we view ourselves and how we view the world. I think I've told this story before. Um, there's a lady you might have heard of. Uh, her name's Hillary Rodham Clinton. Some of you might have heard of her. Um, former, you know, first lady, governor, secretary of state. She's done a little bit in her life. Um, there's a story about her, though. This is uh, from a few years back where she told a story when she was in high school that one day she brought home a straight-A report card. I'm going to pr- assume that she brought home a lot of straight-A report cards. And she showed it to her dad. And she's hoping, obviously, let's see, any, any young kid hoping for a word of commendation, like, good job. And instead he said, well, you must be attending an easy school. <laughs> yeah, and this was like 40 years later in an interview. She still remembered that as if he had said that right there at the moment. It's still burned. And, you know, she's a driven woman, and some people have opinions on all that. But, man, she's successful. I'm wondering if there's a part of her drive has always been to succeed and always been to be able to tell her that, no, look what I've done. I am approved. Look what I've accomplished. It's not easy. To a pain that still endures. And some of you totally understand what I'm talking about because you've lived under a certain weight of expectations, whether it was done intentionally or not, from authority figures. I just... um. Not that I'm like the hip-hop guru or anything, but I heard a quote from uh, hip-hop artist Drake recently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't ask me to sing anything, what he, what he uh, listened But he said this quote, I've been ready um, since my dad used to tell me he was coming to the house to get me, but he ain't show up. Man. And some of you understand that as well. That just sense of that, that a father in our minds should be there, someone who's, who would be reliable, someone who's dependable, someone who should be there, someone who should be there for you when maybe when no one else is there. They should be the one who's there. But for so many in our culture, in our society, we live in a broken fatherhood where th- those fathers haven't been there or the mothers haven't been there. And, and it just frames how we view ourselves and it frames how we see life. And, and I give these examples not to try to, like, jab you in your soul right now and make you, like, get all weepy or whatnot, but that your relationships with your fathers, they have molded and shaped how you view yourself, how you view other people, how you view the world, but also how you view God. It, it affects how you approach your work. It affects how you approach definitions of success. It, approach, it affects how you approach relationships. And whether you're aware of it or not, even how we understand God as our father is affected by the relationships we've had with our own fathers or mothers or authority figures. So for some of us, um, you did have a father who left for whatever reason. And in your mind, maybe that maybe you don't even feel the full effect of it, but in your mind, it's easy to suddenly think of God as not reliable. That, yeah, I'm going to pray to him all day, but in the end, if it's not convenient, maybe he just won't be there. 
Or some of you, and I'm not making light of this all, maybe some of you have been abused by people that you were supposed to trust, whether physically or emotionally or sexually. And when you have a pastor up in front telling you, trust God, trust God, he's a good father, you can depend on him, there's a part of your soul that's just like, I can't, I can't, because look what it did to me when I did. And all it did was lead me to pain. And I'm not going to put myself to trust someone in that way again. For some of you, you might have had father of the year from the outside. Like everyone looking at your family, you were like, um, you know, perfect family. Everyone looked at you, man, you got like man of the year. And and he was there. He worked hard. Maybe he was there every day, but there was an emotional distance. Yeah, fully dependable, but emotionally distant. And you never heard things like, I love you, or great job, or I'm proud of you. And often what that leads us to now, even for some of us, is even in our spiritual life, we're just going to work ourselves to death because we're just clamoring to hear, good job, good job, I'm proud of you. Because we're just aching for that because there's a part of our soul that's longing for that approval, that acceptance. And what happens then? Many of us, we live in a spirit of slavery. You know, we, we read the verse that said, you're no longer a slave, but you're a spirit of sonship. And we're always trying to earn our way. Some of us are always trying to pay God back. Some of us are saying, man, I did so poorly in my life. I need to live a good life now. And we're living like a slave. That's slavery. That's never enough. That's never feeling that it's enough. It's always feeling like you're on a hamster wheel. I need to keep running. I need to keep doing. I need to keep performing. Because if I stop, who's going to love me? And we're full of fear. In light of those things, what we see Paul writing here in this passage is very intentional. He uses the title Abba. You see this word Abba there, and this is rich with meaning. Um, This is uh, literally what it means is like daddy in our modern day language. Abba, daddy. And you might notice that in other parts of the Bible, God, he's called by his covenant name, Lord. And you might see, if you open up your Bible, you might see it say LORD, and it's in all capital letters, L-O-R-D. Fully, and you might think, man, was there like a typo here, or why is it like... What that means, that's a way for the Bible writers to, see, to say that's his covenant name. That's uh, Yahweh, Jehovah. Uh, it's an English version of that, and that's the name that God gave to the Israelites in Exodus 3 when he said, call me I am. This was his proper name. This was an appropriate way to refer to God. So again, you need to keep that in mind because this is very purposeful when instead of that proper covenant name, Lord, all caps, Paul here is saying, use Abba, use Daddy. It's a title that shows greater intimacy than God's covenant name. And my kids, they've been on this thing recently where, um, and, and my oldest one's getting a little too old to do this, but they call me Dada. You know, they just love that, like, dada, dada. And, you know, um, it's, it's, but, you know, I, I have to be honest. There's a part of me that really doesn't want them to stop because I feel it keeps them a little younger and I'm okay with that. Like, they're like, dada, dada. Um, if I went outside after service and I'm walking home and some random little dude on the street just came up to me, like a three-year-old guy, and just started looking at me and dada, 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 I would start freaking out a bit because, first of all, I don't want all of you looking and say, why is that little boy calling our pastor daddy? Um, but aside from that, it's just not right because I'm not that kid's dada. I'm not daddy. 
I mean, I can be nice and hang out and stuff, but I, I'm not daddy because that's a special term reserved for my girls, for my children. Only they can really call me daddy and have some kind of meaning behind it. In a similar way, this term Abba, this is reserved for those who have a special relationship with God. That through the death of Jesus, they can now call God daddy. And again, there are some people that know a heck of a lot more about God than you and I, but feel very comfortable about saying daddy because it feels too intimate. It feels too close. And guys, that's exactly the point. Paul is writing to tell us exactly what this relationship should look like. When you see verse 15 there, there's a reason why there's the word cry when addressing daddy. Because we cry when our hearts are filled with pain. We cry when we are filled with terror at the unknown. We cry when we fall down and we skin our knees. We cry when it's dark and we can't see the road ahead of us and it's scary. Maybe we're questioning how life is unfolding. Some of you are looking at life right now and you don't understand why things are happening the way they are. And you look at that and you wonder whether God's plan is really good. And you know that he can hear you at your lowest points emotionally, spiritually, and that he hears you. And that's when we cry out to him. Verse 16 describes it. The spirit bears witness with our, uh, with our spirit that we are children of God. What this is saying, guys, uh, those who don't belong to God will rarely cry out to daddy like that. Those who don't know God, they're not going to cry out to God in the same way. So the very fact that you would cry, the very fact that you would cry, Daddy! Abba! Father, the very fact that you would cry that out, that is testimony that God's grace has worked something in your heart. It assures us that in the midst of raging storms, our God, he is a safe haven with arms open wide to embrace you wherever you are coming from. You know, as I think about being a dad myself and going through all this stuff with my kids, it's, it's funny because I, I just ha- I can't help but have memories when I was a little one. And um, this next slide here. Some of you might know what those are. Um, they're called Oompa Loompas, but I call them nightmare fuel because um, this is back when I was little. Like, I couldn't have been more than like five or six years old. I remember we were at someone's house, and they, they put on this. And this is old school before Johnny Depp, like old school Willy Wonka chocolate factory. Um, watching this thing, and I guess it's supposed to be a kid's movie, but whoever thought of that is extremely cruel, because this thing, like, I watched it, and, like, those little dudes, they freaked me out. I got nothing against, like, people, whatever, right? But they just freaked me out for whatever, the skin or the hair. I mean, it just, and I remember that night. I don't know how I remember. Maybe this stuff goes deep, right? I remember that night not being able to scream, just freaking out. Like having nightmares, oompa loompa, you know, uh, you know, like they're coming after my dreams. And I remember not being able to sleep. I was a little kid. All I remember is in the middle of that night, my dad coming to me and just holding me, putting his arms around me, wrapping me deep to his chest all night. And you know, those of you kids know this happens all night. You're okay. Those oompa loompas can't get you. You're safe. Daddy's got you. Daddy's got you. Daddy's got you. No one will hurt you. Some of us here, you have plenty of information about God, the creator, God, all this stuff. 
But maybe the invitation for you is to believe in God as daddy. Believe in this God as daddy when everything seems too big for you to handle. That he's saying, I got it like a good dad should. I'm there for you. I will protect you. You can be safe with me. I also want to welcome some of you here and and just in love, ask you to consider whether God is your father. And we might say, what, isn't God everyone's father? No, according to scripture, actually, again, it's reserved a special relationship for those who have a relationship with God that he would, you can call him daddy. That's not for everyone. It's a special privilege called to, for the children to cry out daddy. And, and for you to think about it and say, do you have a relationship where you are able to see God in that way? And not just as someone who tells you what to do or how to be holy, but someone who's your father, someone who is your dad, who's there for you and all those things. Because the, the way that that happened was we have our elder brother that I mentioned, right? Jesus. And some of you have older brothers and they were just horrible to you, like miserable men. So when I even say older brother, you're like, Ugh. but we have a good elder brother in scripture. He's called Jesus. And what he did was he went on this thing called a cross. And though he had never broken any rules, he lived a fully holy life. He did everything he was supposed to. Yet for the sake of bringing you back to dad, the elder brother put himself, sacrificed on a cross, bled and died for our sin and our shame and our guilt so that you would be able to receive sonship. You would be able to receive daughtership and be able to genuinely say, Abba, Father, Daddy! Because the elder brother has paid the price and he wants to bring you home to daddy. So can I ask you, um, let's stand together as we close right now. And I'm going to invite our music team to come up. And can I tell all our kids here, you guys did a great job. You guys did a fantastic job. All the, all the, all the kids here. But as you're standing here, let me ask you to close your eyes for a second. We're going to sing and we're going to respond in communion for those of you who are Christians, are going to invite you to come up and, and just eat, eat the Lord's Supper and be reminded of Christ. But before we do that, can I ask you, just as you have your head bowed, ask yourself these questions. Is it difficult for you to call God Daddy? Does that even make sense to you? Is he that close or has he been kind of removed? Or maybe because of some of those, again, some of those emotional developmental factors, that's clouded how you view God. And can I welcome you? I'm not going to say all of that just magically goes away. That's part of you, and, and you wrestle through, and that's how you grow. But can I also welcome you that God, when he does work in your life, he does make you a new creation. Maybe some of you had had the most miserable backgrounds. That's why I love being part of a church where we're not saying, get your act clean, get yourself set, come from a nice Christian family, and then you can come here and be part of church. What I'm saying is, man, let's be a part of a church where people with no family history or rotten family history are able to come in and learn family, including who daddy is. So can I ask you that maybe for some of you, that's going to be associated with pain, And maybe even right now, painful memories are coming up. And can I encourage you that this is a safe place to engage those things? Maybe it's a place for healing. Maybe it's a place for you to forgive some people in your life. And for you to know that there is a God who knows everything about you. Who knows all the ways you've messed up. Who knows all the ways that you've probably even failed what you've wanted to do in life not measured up, not been holy enough, and yet all he wants to do is call you son, daughter, 
and love you. And again, be honest with yourself. Is God your father? Or are you just just going through religious motions? If you're just going through religious motions or you're just trying to do the right thing, could I welcome you to relationship, not just religion, and receive Jesus Christ? Thank the elder brother, Jesus, for dying on a cross for you. Be amazed by that so that you could be made right with the Father. So wherever you're at in those spectrum, I'm going to invite you to pray right now. Whenever you're ready, we have the communion table here. You can come up on either right or left side at the same time. Take a piece of the wafer. Remember the body of Christ. Dip it into the cup right there. Remember his blood shed for you that makes you family. And maybe for some of you, today could be the first time as a genuine child of God that you do that. And you receive Christ today. And you say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I want to know God as daddy too. So let's do that. We're going to sing. We're going to receive communion. We're going to pray. Pray with some people around you if you want to. We encourage you to do that. And let's receive what the Lord would have to say to us.